it's it's crazy because the day after the rotation ended, I was like, man, I'm just gonna go see him if he's still in the hospital. I'm gonna go visit with him and just make sure he's okay. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away like the day after I ended the rotation, and that crushed me. Uh, it crushed me. But um, you know, just pondering that, I kind of held on to that throughout my whole clinical experience, and just realizing that you don't know what you can do uh, with people when you come well prepared with knowledge and then also with a heart that's ready to serve them. Not perfect every day, obviously, but uh, you know, who knows, you know, the connection that you can build with somebody through medicine. But anyway, uh, all that said, that's really the turnaround portion of my story. That's where I really was like, you know what? I'm gonna keep doing this. If it's, if it's only for that, I'm gonna keep doing this. You got that drip, 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 drip. Yes, something for my wrist, 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 wrist. Paparazzi sound like click, 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 click. What is up, fam? It's Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise the Dr. Wisdom from Parents Who Did It, author of Black Men White Coast, author of the Dr. Stop Children series, author of Pre Med Mondays, and the author of a new book I'm about to drop here in a little bit, which is going to teach doctors how to self publish and write books, too. Uh, and this is Black Men and White Coast Podcast, a place where Black clinicians have the platform to share their stories with listeners like you or viewers if you're watching on YouTube or IG or wherever. Man, super excited about my guest today. Uh, before I introduce you to him, I just want to say thank you for everybody who's been riding with us over the past year. It's been almost a full year since we put out the documentary. And man, that documentary was all over the place, man. I, I, man, it was all over the place. News everywhere, Forbes, all that stuff. And over 1,200 screenings across the country, majority of med schools in the U.S., churches, schools, community centers, everywhere. So, man, just super excited. Just want to say thank you to everybody who, who's just rocked with us for the whole documentary. That's been some good stuff. If you haven't seen it, make sure you check it out, bmwcmovie.com. And uh, just read the descriptions and get plugged in with Black Men and White Coats. Man, all right. I'm super excited about my guest today, for real, though, because he's, a, he's an IG star, man. He's an Instagram superstar. I, I was telling him a little bit ago, he might be the best dancer on Instagram, the best doctor dancer on Instagram. I should say that, but he might be up there, man. It's a, it's a competition, man. Um, if you're on Instagram, you know him. Y'all call him Dr. Iggy on Instagram. It's Dr. Matthew Igbenegi, but Dr. Iggy is what he goes by. Uh, is, that your, is that your official, what is your, what's your handle on Instagram? Just so I can get that out of the way right now. Yeah, it's doc.iggy. There you go. So go follow him on Instagram and check out his dance movie. He got all that stuff going for y'all, all right? Um, but, man, how you doing, man? What is up, man? Glad to, glad to finally get you on the podcast. I've been trying for a while. Yo, man, it's a great honor to be here. I remember when you first approached me years ago about this concept, not even this. And now I'm yeah. on a podcast, so it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been fun for me kind of, um, you know, watching you over the years, you developing as a, not just a doctor, but the stuff you're doing outside of medicine. But um, but here's the deal. So I'm just glad to have you on here. And the listeners want to know about Doc Iggy. So we got to give it to him, right? We got to give some. Um, before I before even Doc Iggy, right? So there was something before Doc Iggy. And you're a big personality. You're vibrant. You like to dance and all that stuff. And you're out here trying to make change. Where did that come from? Is that from your parents? Tell me about your parents. Where did that come from? And my parents, uh, they're two immigrants from Nigeria. My dad is like relatively a city boy and my mom's like more from like a village atmosphere. Uh, and I mean, they met at a wedding, uh, just happened to be a family party of my mom's and my dad was there and 
basically told a young kid to go get her attention and eventually approached her and pretty much history from there. And so they came, they migrated here, uh, went to Jackson State, got their master's. Both of them got their master's there in accounting. Uh, had all my four sisters, then came to Dallas and had me, uh, where I was born at um, the hospital that I'm now at, that I now work at. I was born there. Oh, for real? And yeah. Oh, so you're yeah, Dallas. Uh, so so you're uh, so you being your whole life. Did y'all ever leave and come back, or you just been in Dallas the whole time? All I know is Dallas, Richardson. Actually, I was raised in Richardson. Oh, that's dope. That's dope. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Good city. Hey. Man, I'm a fan of Dallas. I moved here in 2013. I'm a fan. I think it's the best city in America. That's just my my humble <laughs> opinion. So, um, nice, you, how many sisters did you say? So, I have four sisters, one brother. Four sisters, and and they're all older. All older. Goodness gracious! So, what was that like? What was that like being, I guess, the second to last, uh, with four older sisters? What was that like in the house growing up? I always say it's better to have older sisters than older brothers because I know what it's like to be an older brother. I feel like uh, <laughs> and I, I know like you're my younger sister. brother too, man. So hey, he does, yeah. all y'all know well. Nah, he's a good one. Uh, but my sisters, they took care of us. I mean, I learned everything from my sisters. Learned how to hoop. I learned how to do well in school. I learned about medicine. I mean, I learned a lot from them. So I'm thankful growing up. I mean, they tried to play me. They were ganging up against me. That's why. <laughs> That's why I asked my parents to give me a brother, but uh, that's about it. Otherwise, it's cool. Man, so it's like that. So, so if somebody wants a brother, all they got to do is ask their parents, say, hey, can I get a brother? Yeah, so I just asked my mom. She's like, okay, my baby, pray. Just pray to God to give you a brother. He was there a year later. Hey, prayer works, man. I, I, believe, it. I believe in it. Um, yeah. So I heard, I heard you said hooping. What kind of game you got? What, what, what do you play? You, uh, you a point? You uh, a, a wingman? You know, let me just start off. You know, I'm six three. You know, one eighty eight. I just measured myself today. I can basically play anywhere from the center, like I was in high school, and now I can be PG. I can be on the side. You know, it just depends on play? what what y'all need. Well, I would show you, but uh, yeah, I, I ruptured my Achilles actually a month oh, ago. Oh man, yeah. Oh, man. So, so you got I'm out uh, for a year. That that Clay Thompson that obey hey hey but if anybody knows you're orthodox so if anybody knows how to fix it you got you I'll got yourself hey when you're back you gotta I don't I don't play so much but I, I do stuff with my kids nowadays hey so all right this whole thing about medicine right when did that come into your life when did you say you know what you know medicine might be uh, something I'm interested in is that something that happened when you were a kid or is it when you got older. I would say it developed as I got older. My dad, uh, he was the first, well, my mom was actually the first nurse assistant in my family. My dad was the first RN in my family. And they have a, they had a huge influence in kind of pushing our family towards like the sciences uh, through their influence. And started with my second to oldest sister. She went to medical school, ended up going through the islands and had a very rough experience, which made her experience, it made it very unattractive to me. Uh, as for so when myself, you say when, when you say she had a rough experience, what was that like? What was that uh, like? What, what made it rough? I mean, she was the first person to pursue a medical degree, so no one in our family could provide true support to her. We were all in the dark. We were kind of looking to her as a hero. You know, every step she made, she would seem like a hero. But now, when I look back, now that I've been through it, I realize she was going through it. And what that means is, you know, to go to a one, to suffer through 
MCAT without little with little guidance is difficult. To go to a international school or Caribbean school without guidance is is pretty tough. Uh, to come back and match to a U.S. residency, uh, it's pretty difficult. And then also to understand the biases against IMG graduates uh, and training programs. She kind of made all that kind of uh, clear to us and encouraged us to be trained in the U.S. So she she detailed her whole journey for us and I can I owe her a lot of my success yeah I mean that goes to the thing that you know kind of like why black men and white coast even exist this idea of mentorship right and having that the fact that she I don't know if you were ever thinking about going that route and I'm not saying that that's a right or wrong route and you know every individual has to think about what's right for them uh given their their specific unique circumstances but the fact that you had her to tell you that man that's huge that you had her to kind of guide you through that well, what, what kind of kid were you? What kind of kid were you? Well, what was a, tell me about a young Doc Iggy, like elementary school. Yeah, so young Doc Iggy, obviously rough. Uh, I had a few knots on my head because I kept <laughs> bumping my head into the wall. Surprisingly, I didn't lose that many brain cells. But uh, outside of that, I was the guy who would break apart the computer, who would break apart the vacuum, who would put toys together, build things. So from the jump, I had like an engineering mindset. You know, I loved electronics. I was obsessed. I watched YouTube videos about it. I, when YouTube finally came out, when I finally got, you know, internet as <laughs> my lifetime. But, um, but that was me growing up. And I was obsessed about it. And for the longest, I wanted to be an engineer, actually. Um, so that story changed when I got to undergraduate. And that was the first time I had a taste of, uh, re- uh, had an epiphany of the body as a machine. I really think, I think God gave me the epiphany, but the, the body is so analogous to the technology we have. You know, simply, uh, you can think of your nerves like wires. You can think of uh, your energy sources that you store in your body like batteries. You can think of, you know, your joints like the mechanical joints, gears that you see in the machines. And the only difference I think between a person's body and a machine is the soul that you have the eternity that you have to relate to other humans, all the unspoken things, the emotions. And I, I, at that point, realized that, you know, I could take my same interest in engineering and apply it to human, to the human body, but also affect their soul. So that's really why I did medicine, honestly, at the end of the day. I love that, man. It's, it's funny. I'm not sure. It makes perfect sense, but I'm not sure I've ever really thought about that the body is just you know, for people who were in engineering and end up coming to medicine, that y'all might view it that way, right? The body is just a super, super complex machine, the most complex machine that you're ever going to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so when you when you put it like that, that that really does, yeah, that really does make um make a lot of sense. When you decided to make that jump or whatever switch to to medicine. Uh, what what around you kind of helped you on that journey? Being like, I think about when I was a kid, right? Um, I watched the Cosby show. I watched a different world. So I had those external things that were kind of around me that kind of me. My big brother uh, went to medicine, but let, excluding him, I'm, t- I'm talking more media. So right now you're the IG guy, you're Doc Iggy, right? So kids can go on, on Instagram and they can see you on IG and they can look and say, oh, wow, this is cool. This is what doctors are doing. As a matter of fact, that's why we started Black Men and White because people don't notice, but like before we started Black Men and White Coast, there was there was no Doc Iggy. There was none of that on Instagram, right? There was, there was no real Instagram. There was yep. none of that on Facebook. Yep. 
So when we put up Black Men and White Coats, we were, I can't think of anything that was kind of making Black medicine look cool before we came up with Black Men and White Coats, right? So what, 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 what did you have that kind of pushed you and said, hey, you know what, maybe being a Black doctor could be, could be something I want to do? I had my sisters. That was really it. Um, my oldest sister, I told you the story about her. Uh, she inspired the, my fourth sister into medicine too. So she, and that's my closest sibling in age. She's three years older than me. So we were in school at the same time. We were going through things at the same time. We played basketball together at some times. So, uh, you know, I looked up to her and she was a little bit closer in age. So I could see her through the process too. Um, and I was encouraged uh, at really what happened. So I was surrounded by that. That's what encouraged me by vision. But the truth is the reason why I didn't go into engineering kind of stems back to uh, the end of high school going into my, my freshman year of college. Do you want me to share about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So basically um, high school, you know, I was honestly an underdog at mostly everything. Uh, I was in all AP classes, kind of dorky, not really that cool kid, but also I played basketball. And like, so, you know, if you play basketball, you got to be a cool kid to a degree. That's the stigma. Uh, but I wasn't really that good at basketball all through college, all through high school. So I was always in the middle. I wasn't that smart and I wasn't that good at sports. You know, I, I wasn't that cool. Uh, yeah. But I did my best. Regardless, I did my best in everything I did. And really my senior year of high school, uh, I turned around, got better at basketball. Uh, my grades were pretty decent. And I graduated top 11% of my high school class. But in Texas, the top 10% gets automatic acceptance to any state school. Well, I was top 11%, but I was like, you know what? I play basketball. I'm well-rounded. These people are going to give me a pass. Well, I applied to my top two schools. I didn't get accepted. So it put me in this whirlwind of applying to schools, which my last my your, third choice. What were your, um, what were your top two? So top two was UT Austin and Rice University. I got a small little letter that said, thanks, but no thanks. You see, hey, UT Austin and Rice, y'all see that? Y'all hear that? Y'all passed up on an orthopedic surgeon. There you go. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Now they know. <laughs> now they know. I had, to ask you so I, I had to ask you so I can call them out. I had to ask you just so I can call them out, man. <laughs> Yeah, so Texas A&M put me on a wait list, and only 500 out of 2,500 get off that wait list. And uh, by God's grace, I got off the wait list. But what that meant was when I got to Texas A&M, all the majors were full, all the student housing was full. So I had to go into, I had to go into general studies. When I went to general studies, obviously, after going through that experience of, of the scare of not getting into college, not being able to live out my dreams to be a biomedical engineer or even a doctor, I hustled. I took all the basic courses, basic science courses I needed, and all the intro-level history courses I needed uh, as a freshman, and I hoped and I worked to get almost a 4.0. I didn't get a 4.0 only by one question on one test. I would have got one oh, wow. question right on one test. I would have had a 4.0 that first semester. So I used that GPA as a means to apply to a new major after my first semester. So I went to the advisor's office uh, and I just sat down in front of her and she's like, okay, you know, I hear you want to change your major. I was like, yes, I'd like to change it to biomedical engineering. And this is all before, you know, my files open or anything. She just kind of sits back, says like, ooh, 
yeah, I don't know about that one. That's a hard one to get into, you know. And I was like, really? She was like, yeah, they only take like maybe five or so a year. I was like, at a, so there's 50,000 people at the school. I guess they take five a year. You know, I just kept going in the conversation. So I was like, well, what about like uh, another form of engineering? She's like, they're pretty much all the same. I was like, hmm. Then I started defaulting, okay, you know, my sisters are pre-med. Maybe I could just do a general science major. So I was like, how about biomedical sciences? Because that was like the premier pre-med uh, um, major at Texas A&M at the time. And she was like, mm, that's really competitive. And then I was like, just start rattling off other things like chemistry and bio. Like, what is that? Like, and so then she begins to open my portfolio. And then she starts, and by this time, I was already frustrated. I was like, dang, you know, I came here for some hope, some guidance. And then I just feel like this person is kind of not really supporting any of the things I want to do, not get, opening any doors. She's just kind of shut, shutting everything down that I'm saying. So it just makes me like, you know, I'm super discouraged. And she's like, well, she's just looking through my portfolio. She's like, well, you know, I guess you do have credits for these courses because I took AP courses and I tested out in high school. And then she's like, oh, your GPA is not bad. And I, had a 3.96 like or something. <laughs> what you mean, not bad? I mean, was, uh, I mean <laughs> but I, I didn't feel great. So, yeah. honestly, it was like, you know, at that point, I don't know if I, I didn't like really shut her off, but she, I don't even remember what she said after that point. I was just so discouraged that I remember leaving the building. It was a gloomy day, and I just sat on the bench outside and just was like, man, like, what am I going to do? Like, I just kind of put all my weight on this situation, and now. Uh, I feel like this lady just says, you know, I don't have much hope. And then I started thinking, like, well, why, why would she think I wasn't going to be one of those five? Like, why wouldn't I be one of those five to make it? Why? You know, you haven't even opened my portfolio. Yeah. So out of frustration, I called my sisters. And when I called my sisters, that's when we had the discussion about medicine versus, you know, engineering and, like, their concepts. And that is essentially those conversations are what brought the epiphany of me realizing that the body is very similar to, you know, an engineered subject. Uh, and that's when I was like, you know, let me look more into this. And they actually both ironically did sports medicine or kinesiology. And that's when I decided to do kinesiology. But I also at the same time applied for a pre-med program the following summer to confirm the passions that I had. And indeed, when I went to that rotation, that's when I confirmed the passions for, for medicine. I mean, I went to that uh, enrichment program, and that's where the my whole dream it was SMDEP, uh, Summer Would Medical you? and Dental Enrichment Program. I went to Case Western in Ohio, and I actually got waitlisted to that, too. <laughs> anyway, it maybe it says something about me. Or maybe, maybe to the listener, it tells you, hey, waitlist. Waitlist is not a no. Waitlist is there's, there's still a path from a waitlist, right? So, um, man, shout out to the um, SMDPs. Now it's called SHPEP, um, S-H-P-E-P. Um, great program. I did it too, um, coming through my, my wife and I both did it, um, coming through our times, you know, back way back in the days. Man, I'm getting old, man. That was a long time ago I did that. Um, but, you know, the, I mean, it's unfortunate. The whole story you just said is it's such a common type of thing, man. You know, such a common type of story where some people feel as though your advisors aren't necessarily giving them the guidance that they need, um, which again just goes to reiterate this idea of having a community, having support. And, you know, thank God he gave you those sisters who you could turn to who could actually help you and kind of guide you along, along that journey. Um, so 
now you're in college, you know, you say, hey, I want to be a doctor. I've gone through this program. I love it. What was the hardest part of those years to actually get through that college journey and become a doctor? What, what was the moment, after you decided you want to be a doctor, what was the moment that slapped you in the face and made you say, whoa, I might have made the wrong decision? Wrong decision? Hmm. That didn't come until I was already in medical school. All right, tell me about that. Yeah, <laughs> so I got through my first two years of didactics, and now I'm in the hospital clinical environment. It's my first rotation, and I was on the first month of internal medicine out of three months. And I just remember getting there, and I just felt like a complete idiot. I felt like everything I had studied, everything that I'd known before, was not applying or clicking to a point where I could apply it. And and you're in Galveston now, right? So you, you went to undergrad at Texas A&M and you went to med school so, at University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, right? Yeah. Now I'm in Galveston. I started internal medicine. I just feel like an idiot. And I felt like I didn't know, like none of the concepts were cooking. I just felt like nothing was translating. All of the basic sciences weren't translating. So, and then I started learning like all the layers of medicine. There's so many layers. It wasn't just a simple yet it wasn't as simple as the science that you learn test tubes and chemistry you're dealing with people now you're dealing with social issues you're dealing with time that you have to get up early and work with the time that you have every day to serve all these people and it was super overwhelming mind you then you gotta work with the residents and the attendings and your knowledge checks and i just felt like it was super overwhelming i felt so challenged and i was like you know this, this, I'm, my quality of life is just depre- depressed so much. Like, is it really worth it? I'm only halfway through this. Maybe I could use my kinesiology degree. Maybe PT will be something a little bit better. Or being a personal trainer or being, you know, a physiatrist, I don't know, doing something else. Um, but that was a moment where I was like, dude, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Internal medicine. So you're a, you're a third year student, third year med student, and you're out of the classroom now when you're sitting in the, the wards, you're taking care of patients, and that's when you're getting a smack in the face. And it sounds like um it sounds like what something we talk about all the time, imposter syndrome, right? Well, it sounds like something like this whole idea, like you're feeling like, man, I'm not built for this. When you already yep. got into med school, you already passed the classes you had to do for them to allow you to be on the wards. So obviously they thought you were built for it, but now you're doubting yourself saying you're not built for it. Um so what made you change your mind and say, you know what, I really am? Because you're an orthopedic surgeon, so that means you ended up doing well. So, um, you know, for the people who don't, who, the listeners who might not understand the way this game is played, um, you know, there, there are certain fields where you pretty much have to do well to get in. Doesn't mean that, doesn't mean you can do another field and not, not have done well. For example, you might get top scores and decide to do a field that's not as competitive, right? But then there's certain fields where you're just not going to get in unless if you've done well. So, I mean, you've done well to a certain extent, at least. So what was it that, that got rid of that imposter syndrome and gave you that confidence to, to let you know, hey, you know what, I'm built for this? We'll be right back. We need more black men in white coats because we need to save the lives of more black men. Period. There were fewer black men applying to medical school in 2014 than in 1978. There are several medical schools that do not have any black men in their classrooms. When that is the case, and we're in a learning environment, 
there's going to be different conclusions made about how to care for people if there are not diverse people around the table. You need to care about your fellow man and woman, otherwise we all suffer. So the reason why white people, white women should care about diversifying the physician workforce, which includes black men, is because it makes it better for all of us. Historically, the system wasn't designed for black men to succeed. My mom, on and off drugs, in and out of jail my whole life, and becoming an orthopedic spine surgeon. If I can do it, and come from that environment, and everything that I went through, I think you can also. There are little black boys out there who see me on TV, who see me in this role, and who may not have ever thought that they could be a doctor, much less Surgeon General, who when they see that, all of a sudden think, I can do that too. We're approaching this as though it's a problem versus realizing that we have a crisis on our hands. What's the impact if this problem doesn't change? Black people are gonna continue dying. Yeah, ain't no time for stressing, I've been really stepping. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, if you wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. Wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. Black like man, white yeah. coat, shit, we up right now, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta set you a goal. BMWCmovie.com So what was it that, that got rid of that imposter syndrome and gave you that confidence to, to let you know, hey, you know what, I'm built for this? It was uh, the third month. I was on nephrology. And uh, one, there were two things. One, I had, first of all, I had a very tough attending uh, who expected a lot. But um, he would teach, but it was, you would feel it. It would make you feel it. Um, but basically, I had a patient who I, it was an orthopedic patient, ironically, um, that I got to follow through the course of their stay and built a real relationship with this guy to the point where he requested me as a med student to come calm him down. Um, and it got to the point where one time he, he, just asked me to hold his hand and began to burst in tears. And that was the first time I realized that there was more to this. There are even more layers to medicine than what I just said. And it was back you to know the what, point you, of... You know, I'm going right, to... What you said right there is so important because I, I noticed this so much more now than I used to, right? Because I, I hear med students, I read all these med student you know, essays and stuff like that, right? So I, see, I hear med students saying what you just said about there's more to medicine and they talk about being with a patient. And, uh, you know, the, the human aspects of holding the hands. But I feel like so many people, and it's, it's unfortunate, but I feel like I see so many people throughout the residency, after the residency phase and beyond, you know, beyond my, my phase, lose that, completely lose that, right? So I feel like it's not, so the fact that you brought that back up at the stage you're at, to me, is, is impressive. Um, and you're going to keep on going in that story, but I, cause I don't want to forget this, because I think it's that important. How do you not lose that feeling that you're describing right there? Because my brother and I, Dr. Dan, we talk about this all the time about we think that sometimes we think that, that the wrong kids are getting chose from med school, you know, just based on just grades, just numbers, rather than picking the people that are doing exactly what you just said right there. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you maintain that throughout the process? I think it's, it starts from the jump of your assessment of yourself. You know, I think... In medicine, there are two loves. You have to love science and you have to love people. 
And if you identify early that you love those two, then great. Or, or you have to love them to a degree. They don't have to be equal, but they have to both be there. And um, the way you keep it, I think is, I think it just, I don't know how a way to exercise keeping it. I know now, based off my experiences, I look and remember those experiences to encourage myself when times are tough, but also I have renewed experiences. You know, when I could just stay steadfast on the journey, I realize I encounter patients who will give me a refresher and tell me, you know, remind me that I'm here for more than just the scientific, you know, reasoning of how I can help you. I, and if that gives you life and energy, then you will be revived by medicine. But, uh, you know, it's not a, like you can't go into medicine with thinking of people as, as subjects for business um, or else you'll be disappointed. You'll get burnt out because there's so much work dealing with humans. You can't just uh, be driven by you know, just the science or just the paycheck. You know, I love, love people. I love it. I'm so sorry. Go back. Tell me, tell me about your, your guy. So holding hands, he burst out crying. Yeah, so that was the first time, you know, he, he might have got me, maybe, in that moment. <laughs> he might got some tears. You, you had a couple, maybe. you had a couple, um, you weren't crying, no. you were just sweating. Our balls were sweating. Exactly. But anyway, it deepened my bond with the patient, and I saw him actually get better. I got out of the ICU. And then, um, you know, my last day of the service, I leave, and, you know, it was a big farewell. All this, we did some special things for him, and it was amazing. I just felt so fulfilled. My, and on the flip side, I also dug in, studied, uh, went hard on presentations. The same harsh attending uh, gave me his stamp of approval and really uh, encouraged me in my performance. So it's two things. You know, I finally had a teacher who I know was tough, gave me some encouragement, which gave me life. And also had a meaningful experience with the patient. And then uh, it's, it's crazy because the day after the rotation ended, I was like, man, I'm just going to go see him if he's still in the hospital. I'm going to go visit with him and just make sure he's okay. Uh, and unfortunately, he passed away like the day after I ended the rotation, and that crushed me. Uh, it crushed me. But, um, you know, just pondering that, I kind of held on to that throughout my whole clinical experience and just realizing that you don't know what you can do uh, with people when you come well-prepared with knowledge and then also with a heart that's ready to serve them. Not perfect every day, obviously, but, uh, you know, who knows, you know, the connection that you can build with somebody through medicine. But anyway, uh, all that said, that's really the turnaround portion of my story. That's where I really was like, you know what? I'm going to keep doing this. If it's, if it's only for that, I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah, I love it. Was he, um, is that the first patient you remember you had who died or no? That was the, that was the, there was actually two on that service that passed around the same time. Um, and I, I don't know if he was first or second, but they were both within like the first, the same week. But those are the first. But you'll never, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll never, you'll never forget either one of them, probably. No. Nah. Yeah. The other, the other one, actually, funny story about that one. The other one, uh, similar to the uh, this guy. So this guy made a connection with me. But the other guy was super hard to like break a barrier to make a connection. Um, but eventually, I did make a broke through, make a connection with him and his family. Turns out that. Um, you know, he, he was really going south and wasn't even conscious at the time. And his wife uh, began to invite friends over to see him. And basically, I ended up um, 
you know, the, the, so one day I came in, the wife had family, friends there, and they were a little stoic, you know, not really impressible. Like, I usually feel like I can, you know, live in a room or build rapport relatively fast. They weren't really uh, matching the energy as usual, obviously, because they have a friend that's in bad health. Uh, but by the end of the conversation, they had lightened up a little bit. So, you know, I left that conversation. I left and there was nothing, but I came back the next day and she commented, she said, hey, oh yeah, by the way, you know, uh, yesterday, I don't know if that felt awkward to you. I know they seemed a little cold, but you know, they you know, they were smiling at you. I was like, okay, you know, cool. I'm glad I could give that effect. But she told me, she said, yeah, I just want to let you know, like, you know, they are actually, that's his like brother and he's a part of the clan back where we come from. I was like, clan? He's like, you know, yeah. KKK. And he said, I was surprised that I was surprised that he interacted with you. And that was the second experience. That was another experience I had. And I don't even know what to make. I don't even know what to make of that. So I don't know if it's. Um, I mean, I, I wonder why he did. I wonder if you, his interaction with you and there's no way of knowing, but I wonder if it would have changed the way he might view, you know, black people or I wonder if um, his brother's situation but I mean, just the, the fact that you got, you know, you got them a little bit lively and stuff like that, that says a lot, you know, that, that, that says a lot. I think that says a lot to the way we should, no matter no matter what happens, no matter what the situation is, the way we should try to treat people with a certain level of respect, especially when they're suffering, when they have loved ones suffering, you know, um, not to get into the whole police brutality talk stuff again, but I got pulled over the other day, um, I'm a pretty good driver, so I don't get pulled over much. I got pulled over because my registration expires, so I'm actually actually need to go get here and uh, and, re- and redo it here in a little bit. Um, but you know, my kids and my my boys, my kids are in the back. My wife is in the car, <clears throat> and I did all the stuff. I had my wallet, out, all the stuff that we teach our kids to do. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. So I'm gonna afterwards, you know, he gave me a warning, so I got a full warning, right? And afterwards, I was telling my son, I was like, do you see how polite I was? Like, no matter what the situation is, you carry yourself. In the, in the highest level of, you know, personal esteem for yourself, you carry yourself a certain way. Because um, you just you just never know what might come from it. Um, and relating that to your situation there, where you you were just being a regular doc, Iggy, probably just a regular doc, right? But you don't know how you might have impacted that guy's life there. In my situation, I got off with a warning. In your situation, you might have impacted the way somebody views Black people now, right? Because you saw a young Black man in medicine caring for, not just being there, but caring for his brother. Right, that's huge. I think that's huge. Um, so why ortho? Now I know you played basketball and all that. You did kinesiology, but ultimately, why ortho? Hey, what's up, fam? Dr. Daniel here. I hope y'all enjoyed that episode as much as I did. It was amazing. Anyway, remember that was only part one. So next week, make sure you come on back for part two. We're gonna be learning why Dr. Iggy chose ortho. We're also going to be showing you how this picture here opened the eyes of millions. And then we're going to see if he can teach my little bro a dance move or two. So we're going to have a great time. So thank y'all for tuning in to the Black Man White Coats podcast. I hope y'all come on back next week. All right. See you. Love you, fam. I want them bad like a daddy, yeah. Oh, let do it like flogger, yeah. I'm kicking flame with no saga, yeah. Ayy, I like them blues. I might go Janet like Jackson. I got them option, yeah. It's all about progression. Life is like a blessing. Everything a win, loss is like a lesson. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, ain't no time for stressing. I've been really stepping.